Hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome to Colin Tape's movie review podcast. <laughs> I forgot to name it. Uh, today I think we're it's just doing... Dave and Cole's podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, it'll change again, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's in flux. Yeah, so today we're going to review Nope. Uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. It's not just a word. It's uh, the name of the film. And <laughs> Knock at the Cabin Door, which is directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Nope is Jordan Peele's third movie. Uh, Knock at the Cabin Door is Shyamalan's 15th movie, uh, according to Wikipedia. So he's been around. Uh, both of them are kind of iconic writer-directors, and I would put them up there with uh, Quentin Tarantino in terms of, like, they, they hold the vision. So they're, they're the vision holder for the movie. And I really want to talk about... What that translates to, that's like the thing I want to talk about most today. So there's writing, and then there's effective directing of that writing. How do I make that writing, you know, how do I make suspense suspenseful? You know, you put it on the page, but it doesn't necessarily translate. So first we're going to talk about Knock. <laughs> I'm just going to call it Knock because the title is too long. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because, uh, uh, sorry, I'll just jump in here. Um, a slight correction. The actual title is Knock at the Cabin. It's oh, got not... one of these weird off-putting titles because I always say it too, Knock at the Cabin Door, uh-huh. right? Because like that's like that's the title that should flow off, off the tongue. And that's kind of uh, how I feel about the film overall in that um, – there are there are things here that are evocative, evocative, ev- evocative. Um, there are things that are really well done, but it, it's just as a whole, there are too many problems for me to totally recommend or, or really enjoy the film. But um, as far as kind of uh, Shyamalan as as this auteur, if you will, uh, I, I do think he's back to being. Um, I think his confidence is back, right? He's back in his groove, and part of that was kind of uh, leaning into the fact that he makes kind of silly, cheesy movies, right? Even Low even budget. Low budget, yeah. B, we're, we're, what we're talking about here is we're talking about a B-level director who's got the eye of an A-level director like Spielberg, right? All the directors that, that, that Shyamalan um, probably grew up and wanted to, wanted to follow in their footsteps, he, he achieves a lot of that visually, but he doesn't really have the storytelling chops um, so what he ends up with is kind of a B movie that's really well made. So um, I'm, I'll come right out and say I hated this movie. Okay, I, I have a, a lot of problems with. This I film. gave it a one out of ten. Okay, I wouldn't give it a one. <laughs> um, here, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll just jump right. Okay, a real quick high level. So this is an adaption um, of a book called uh, "The Cabin at the End of the World," which is a lot better title by Paul Tremblay, um, who is also credited as a screenwriter along with uh, Shyamalan and um, Steve Desmond. But what happens is there we, we start with this couple. It's a man and man, a gay couple um, with an adopted daughter. Uh, she's probably five or six, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, and they're going on vacation to this uh, uh, secluded cabin on a lake. It's an ideal cabin, you know, that, that only you find in Hollywood. Um, well, while there wait are... a second. I have to interrupt you. <laughs> already because because the non-linear editing it's non-linear and that's i actually not the way that's, that's you're telling the that's, chronological that's order of the story but but actually wait, wait. it doesn't flow like that at all you're right and that's part of the problem but but i actually i do like i almost wish because you, you talk about non-linear editing i think a lot of that ends up just being throwaway both in this and the film that, that we'll discuss later on 
um, that it doesn't add much to it. Because I actually really like what happens is we pick up uh, the the family's already at the cabin, and the girl is capturing um, what grasshoppers or something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. And and immediately she's just out here on her own, and we see Dave Bautista, all six foot five and two hundred and fifty pounds of him, walking up, and and we we see we know that something's off. But uh, anyway, um, my big problem with this movie is that I I I want to like the characters, I want to go along with the story, but I just feel like every turn M Night Shyamalan kind of kind of stubs his toe, right? Like every step he takes, he does something to actually uh, distract me or, or lessen from the film. Um, it, one of the things. What's is, funny is, is of, I like him. I like M. Night Shyamalan a lot. I saw him on uh, the Norm Macdonald Netflix show. Yeah, yeah. I like him. Well, I've I mean, always liked him. He just not... I don't like his movies. He's a little bit of an egomaniac, or at least he was at his heyday. But but generally, yes, I like him. I think he's pretty charming. Um, but, okay, so let me... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little scattered today, but, but this is my point. So, everything that happens in the movie... Uh, we find out about because the characters who are in this situation um, end up turning on the television to watch it happen, right? So basically... Yeah, which is an M. Night Shyamalan staple. M. Night Shyamalan staple, but it, it especially hurts this film. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because the, the general plot is this. Dave, Dave Bautista and three other individuals show up at the cabin. They basically... Uh, spoiler alerts, full spoiler alerts. They basically announce that they're uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, um, even though it doesn't really work this way, but but they tell this family that the only way that the world and humanity survives is if they make this ultimate sacrifice, and one of the family has to kill another member. But right, Dave, you but, just and here's the thing: you just summed up the entire movie with absolutely. that one part. And Dave and, Batista says that at the beginning, and you're supposed to feel attention for what's going to happen. You know exactly what's going to happen from the first first moment of of any type of antagonism the movie becomes an exercise in stretching that line out into an hour and a half well and, and that and, is why it relies on nonlinear storytelling because yeah. it has to fill it in somehow and set the pacing so that you don't get bored but the other problem though is that like because okay so basically what happens is this gay couple thinks that the four um people are are attacking them because they're a gay couple right they're being targeted and so dave batista basically says listen every time you deny this request um a bad calamity is going to happen and each time one of these things happens they turn on the tv to watch it happen in real time and ultimately i get the sense and and i i asked i asked the person i was watching this with um, I, and this is going to sound controversial, but just go with me here because okay. it, it really doesn't paint the gay couple in that positive of a light. And we'll go back through that. Um, they lie in one of these nonlinear flashbacks when we see them getting approved for the adoption, they lie to the adoption agency. They say that, that the, one of the men is the wife's brother. Versus saying that they're a gay couple, and and listen, I get it because part of this message is that you know, um, you know, there are challenges and there there are yeah. fears, right? And I I understand that and I, I sympathize to it, but but the other problem is that this theme continues throughout the film because basically the the two dads 
say, no matter what, we are not going to make a sacrifice. I don't, even if I did believe you, which I don't, but even if I did believe you, I would still let all of humanity suffer. And, and listen, I think we all have that general impulse, right? We would do anything to protect our family. But the problem is, is that they, over the course of the film, are hit in the face with the reality that this is happening. And every time they choose not to make the sacrifice, literally millions upon well, millions of I people are the, dying. I think the film, I would kind of disagree with that. I think the film is one of those things where it struggles very hard to to play both sides when both sides don't even make sense to me. Like I actually take the other side of this where I don't care how much somebody says to me that there are plagues happening. That's a coincidence. Like if I'm that dude watching on TV, I don't care. I, I really don't care because the idea that like God is focused on me. So the, the movie tries really hard to be very ambiguous on it. I don't think it does. It shows you. It shows you. Like, well, in because this is the thing. There are coincidence the things... after the second calamity. This the coincidences. Like, uh, but there's the um, other coincidence where the guy happens to be the one person who assaulted him as well. Yeah, they, but, but so that's what I'm saying. Is they're doing both sides. They're trying to. They try to. I think trying to play both sides, and it's very convenient for the writer. Is what I'm saying. Like everything is very convenient for the writer, right? And you know, I mean, it's hard. It's <laughs> I'll give him this. It's hard to stretch that out. It's hard to stretch that out into an hour and a half. But because... if you can't do it, then it shouldn't be a movie, <laughs> right? Like not. ultimately. Also, I think a lot of their the four people who assault the cabin. Um, I think a lot of their um, general everything is nonsensical. Like. They don't really explain anything. And they claim that they want to uh, convince them to do the right thing or something, and that they had visions, terrible visions. But they don't really explain anything about those visions. And again, there's like a little writer's trick in there where um, somebody says, what did you see in these visions? And then the person just doesn't answer. They're like, close the window. It's like they just don't answer the question because you can't answer that. You know, you can't. You know, you, you know what you I kept on do, thinking, though? You can't though? bring those kinds of things up. And so <laughs> a lot of the writing ends up being, like, ignoring or, you know, having on, one person ask something and then the other person answer cryptically or... Right. <laughs> right? Like, I still remember um, this, uh, what is it, um, Gone Girl? Oh, sure. The end of Gone Girl is really unbelievable that she just kind of gets away with the murder. Yeah, and so they have the one cop, both both based on uh, kind of trash novels, right? And they have the one cop ask the ask the other cop like, "Are you believing this?" And then the other cop goes, "She's been through so much, so it's like supposed to help assuage the audience." Like, yeah, they we thought about it, and um, <laughs> and this is how we write around. This it. is how we resolved it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was a lot of what I felt in this movie. Um, you know, they had I their guess... they had their weapons, which they said weren't weapons, they were tools, but then they didn't use them for anything other than weapons. Well you know, they didn't explain I don't think why. they're weapons in the sense that they're not for battle. They're not for they're not for attack, right? They're for a specific purpose. Much in the same way that, yeah. you know, a garden hoe or a scissors could be used to to do some violence, but they're ultimately tools. They didn't explain anything of what they um what they saw really i mean right. they were very cryptic about all of that they could have very easily said something a little more useful um have you ever seen the movie frailty 
Bill Paxton's movie. I have therapy? actually. I was going to bring that up too. Okay, that is I a love better version of this. It's it's okay. So uh, spoilers for a twenty year old film, but well, Bill Paxton, rest in peace. The 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 actor. You don't have to spoil it too much. Well, I won't spoil it too much. But um, what I will say is that he made a little indie movie in two thousand three or two thousand four, somewhere around there, called Frailty, and it deals with the same concept, but but the part of this movie that we don't see. And that's this father um, who has two boys. He's living down in Texas. They are religious. He gets and these the, visions. The father sees visions, and you don't know. Right. There's ambiguity up. until right. un, you know until the climax, which which handles the whole thing really really well. But anyway, this film doesn't do anything with that. that it's not delicate about anything. Um, and I think I think the problem is is that he's hitting you over the head in both directions so that ultimately it just feels kind of, it kind of made me mad. Even though it's contrived, but, but I mean, I do like, like, I think the performances all around were good, right? I really like Dave Batista. Rupert Grintz. Yeah. yeah, Rupert (laughs) Grint is, which is more of a glorified cameo. Um, But the little, the little daughter I thought was adorable and, 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 you know, pretty solid. The lady, Uh, the one lady was the, made from get out yep that's right yeah, yeah who she's has good. her little att- panic attack or whatever she's a good actress yeah um but but so this movie uh, is also about um fear that's, that's why i gave it one point by the way for the acting the, I that yeah they, the, the acting for sure they did a good I, job you lose five for writing five is writing and then <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> for me half the score is writing and then the more i talk about it the less i'm liking it because, like, uh, here's what I'll say. Like a lot of M. Night movies, in the moment, in the moment, he he does know how to craft a set piece. He does know how to craft, make, you know, make tension. He does know how to build up these elements. But, like, it's almost like an exercise in creating these individual elements versus an overall story that weaves them in naturally or, or successfully. Yeah. A lot of times, if, I mean... I mean, if you compare this to Frailty, I think the big problem is nothing happens in this movie. Mm -hmm. In Frailty, a lot happens. Mm -hmm. And that's why they have to go to the nonlinear route, where they they say, oh, let's take a break from what's going on and this tension and go back 20 years or five years or whatever and tell that story, tell that little vignette, and then come come back to the present. And that is totally... um, filler you don't need any of that no well it's an hour i looked at it it's an hour and 40 minutes right Right. and an hour of it is literally rinse repeat rinse repeat rinse repeat it's just okay different calamity different character different calamity different character but but it's the exact same you know 10 minutes probably another 40 minutes is of flashbacks that you could really edit out of the entire movie and and have the same movie I, i don't really think that I, you know, other than maybe the boogie shoes flashback, just so that you can have it at the end. I mean, yeah. other than that, and you could have put that in the beginning and had them drive up. I, I just think that, um, you know, there is a time and a place for there's for nonlinear storytelling, and people have kind of started to latch onto it um, because they want to be do something different, you know. Um, but it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't always work, and a lot of times, a lot of times, it's not worth it. You have films like Memento, which obviously there's a reason a for, it, for it. You have twist movies where you can kind of go back. But even twist movies, it tends not to work. Um, Glass then, Onion. 
Yeah. Ugh, that piece of shit. Right. Glass, Glass onions, onions maybe the most most notorious because it literally changes. Right. Like like it like the movie shows us what happens and then it changes it all together. That's not right. a trick. Right. That's just manipulation. Yeah, and then you've kind of got art films, which can make it work. I feel like Quentin Tarantino kind of popularized it because Pulp Fiction was such a big deal. Um, but I could be wrong. You know, there's certainly been a lot of stories well, like that. It's just it's just I, not effective is the problem. You're always I you're think... almost ninety nine percent ninety five percent of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, you're better off just telling your story in chronological order. Yes, agreed. You get a lot more out of it. So the other one I, I was going to bring up was Don't Worry, Darling, because that one is similar. That one had a lot of – it felt a lot like they were trying to do actually a Jordan Peele movie when they made Don't Worry, Darling. And visually it looks great. The problem is that the little details don't add up to anything greater. And some people would argue that Knock at the Cabin has little details that add up to something greater, but I don't think so. And none of the flashback stuff really added anything to the story for me. And so you've got like these nice shots that are pretty. You've got this nonlinear story with some kind of reveal or not. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. What is the the message or the ultimate point of Knock at the Cabin? I know what its themes are. I know what its themes are. Family, sacrifice, you know, fear and, and how you manage that. But like, what is the point of the movie? I don't think there is one. I'm there trying isn't to think one. for it, but I don't think there is one. There's nothing, and not only that, it's not even interesting because, like, literally. So as soon as as soon as Dave Bautista announces why he's there, and granted, that's spoiled in the trailer, so I already kind of came in knowing this. Right. I knew exactly how the movie was going to play out. They don't do anything creative with the ending, like something like um, you know, Cabin in the Woods, right? They don't do any, and I'm not talking about the major twist. I'm talking about the, the character twist at the end, like their choices that they make. These characters don't make any creative choices. It's exactly what we knew was going to happen from day one. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Didn't like it. Give it a one. I don't even think he was actually an effective director in this one. There were a lot of times where his shot choices, I felt like weren't very good. Like he would cut kind of far away and I don't, I don't like to see the violence. So I actually appreciate that he cut away, but there's just so much of that, and the cut away seemed very random as well. There's another part where they're in a fist fight, and the camera's mm-hmm. kind of like following somebody or on someone who's fighting. Mm-hmm. That seemed a little odd that too. Was, yeah, totally jarring. Out of place. Yep, because it's um, it's it's literally just this like four or five second scene cut, like it's shot. There, it, there's nothing else like that in the yeah. film as far as creative camera movement. And and you got to ask yourself when you make a choice like that, how is this effective? Right. Right. Is this helping the audience feel the impact or, you know what I mean, of yep. or get some suspense out of this or disorientation or why Why am I doing this? Right. You know, and I don't really know the reason. For well, that. I think it's because <laughs> so I, I if I were to guess he wanted he wanted the audience to feel kind of this uncontrolled anger. Right. Because. Well, Cause I think this guy is a victim of abuse. It caused him to go into like, you know, defense, self-defense. And I, in this moment, he's releasing all his anger. But so it think, isn't really set up. I think it's the quest to not be boring. And I understand <laughs> that because yeah, because you see a lot of movies, you know, especially if you love movies and you kind of want to do something different. You want to not 
do the same, you know, two shot. There was another part where they're in the car with her in between, and one of the actors had to like lean into the frame. Yeah. Because it was just that's how he wanted it, and you know, I, I don't know. It was interesting. I was watching because it's a director's showcase. He's trying to call right, attention to, right, these to the directing. Yeah. 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 So let's, well, let's talk I would, about. Well, let me just say real quick that I I would probably give this movie a five, maybe five and a half. I think I genuinely think this is one of the better um, performances uh, all around that that M Night's pulled out of a cast in a long time. You know, I think a lot of times there are movies that are kind of cool taglines that he shoots in inventive ways, but their performances usually don't add up. I, I, I liked the cast here. I think they did well as far as the story and, and the and how it was put together. I think it's mostly a failure. All right, agree. so let's talk about nope and i and the the thing i want to bring up first is that i love nope and pretty much it's the opposite in that it has a lot of little details that do add up and a lot of directing choices that enhance the movie that enhance the storytelling and jordan peele has kind of become like the king of this to me and i i'll i even say like he's for me he's the new tarantino because I've kind of gotten, we've talked about this before, I've gotten over Tarantino movies. Um, his Tarantino's narrating is frustrating, to say the least, the narration. So I'm glad that Jordan Peele is adopting many things, like titles, but not narration. Um, I actually think the titles don't add anything. So I'll just talk about Nope. I'll talk about Nope's plotline in, in broad terms, too. Um, I'll be spoiling things. So... Nope is the story of um, a Hollywood rancher who trains horses to uh, to be in films, and his name is OJ. Um, and it opens with his father dying, and he asks the question later in the audience, "What what do you call a bad miracle?" Because his dad dies in such a crazy, unexpected way, and there's really no word for it, which I think is one of the central questions to the movie, the philosophical questions, which makes it great. And what he discovers is that there's a sky monster. (laughs) (laughs) And they try to get it on film. And, uh, man, so many good things in this movie, um, from being unpredictable. The unpredictable things are great, and the predictable things are great. Like, I love that the sky monster um, looks like a UFO, but turns out to not be a UFO. turns out to be a monster. And I love, from the beginning of the movie, I said, man, this movie better end with him on a horse, running away, riding and riding away from the thing right behind him. And it kind of did. And then, they, and then they go one step further and do it again with a motorcycle. So, <laughs> so I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I got to say, the little details in this, I could go on and on all day about the little details. People have really dissected this film about the different shots and what they mean and, and camera. And he's talked at length about spectacle, um, spectacle being something that, that we are in love with as humans, but they're inherently dangerous. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just, you tell me what you think. Well, I will say that uh, I'm not nearly as high on this as you at the same time. I still really, really liked it. Um, this would probably, I can pick apart, like I can, I can, I'll tell you the the things that I don't like about it later, but 
I give it a 10 out of 10 personally. So even okay. though there are like five things that I would change, it's easy to criticize. And there's a lot of things that I, that add up for me. I'm nowhere near that. I would probably give it a, a solid eight. And, and, and if for reference, I think that, um, that, uh, get out is a nine. Um, and I would also give us like an 8.5, even though I technically like it better than get out. Um, I, so this is, this is my frustration with Jordan Peele. I think, um, I actually think he's the new Spielberg. I think he is what, um, Hollywood yeah, thought never M. Night was going to be 20 years ago. But Spielberg was never a writer. Well, but, but as far as his filmmaking capabilities and, and it is spectacle, right? Spielberg is the king of awe and spectacle. When I think about my childhood, I think about Steven Spielberg. I think about Jaws, Close Encounters, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic but Park. I, I mean, like, it goes on and But don't on. you feel, I feel like this movie was Spielberg. I don't think his other movies are like Spielberg. Oh, I think they are. Um, I, now, Spielberg has never gone out and he hasn't been as political but I think the things that Spielberg was saying about, you know, the, the dissolution of the family in E.T., the things that Spielberg was, I mean, I, I think that Spielberg is more popcorn than Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele has more to say. But I think as far as providing a movie that hits, that fires on all cylinders, that's shot well, that has, uh, a, you know, cons or good ideas, um, that has subtext, I think there are not a lot of directors who could do what Jordan Peele can do, even in this film, which I would say is, I mean, again, it's still an eight, like in my book, I still, I still think it's great. And I, I think a lot of the themes are interesting, but, um, and, and where, where M night Shyamalan's, um, I think like self editing, or, or I don't know how I would describe it, fail him. I think Jordan Peele is an expert at, at crafting story and character and, and, and um, leaving things, ambiguous enough that you can discuss them but at the same time i i i applaud jordan beale's ambition i also want to like it more than i actually end up liking it so you i really like uh, in a on concept i really like the idea of the ufo being this this sky creature but in actuality i didn't get the same thrill out of it that i was expecting when I realized that this was an, a UFO abduction movie in the early marketing, um, I I wanted to see, I really wanted. So I think this is more of a remake of Spielberg's Jaws than any other film. But there are elements certainly of Close it's Encounters. Like, yeah, it's a combination of Jaws yeah. and Close Encounters. And some people have and said I, even ET. <laughs> well, I would I would throw I would say that it's a, cl- a combination of mostly Jaws with a little bit of Close Encounters and a little bit of of. M. Night Shyamalan signs. Yeah, you know, um, oh man. but I, yeah, I was going to say, you know what it is? It's Jaws, but it's shot like Close Encounters. Yes. The story yes, is Jaws. 100%. The filmmaking is Close Encounters. 100%. But the difference is, is like, uh, when I saw the early trailer, and a lot of this is, is expectation versus reality, which is not fair to the movie because that's the marketing, not the movie. But when I, when I realized that Jordan Peele was making a UFO alien movie, I just had all these visions of what it could be. And I still think he made a really, really tight movie that speaks to um, certain themes successfully. What was your disappointment? What did you want to see? Them meet uh, aliens like in Close Encounters? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. But ultimately, uh, a, a shark of the sky is basically what we get. And it's not as satisfying to me. 
It's just it's just not. I think I think everything he does is successful. Last episode I talked about kind of my overall grade versus my like Olympic grade. Like and what I mean by that is my Olympic grade is okay, if I'm watching an Ernest movie, right? An yeah, Ernest movie Ernest if it hits stupid. Ernest Scared Stupid is my favorite of the Ernest movies, okay? I think that is a ten out of ten for Ernest movies. It hits it does as well as it could do for an Ernest movie, but ultimately on the real scale, that's movies like a three and a half, right? Right. So I think for the movie that Jordan Peele was telling, I think he is more or less hitting it out of the park. I just am not in love with the movie that he's telling. Yeah, I mean, I again, I think there's, there's a lot there in terms of his messaging that is really good and you know spielberg had messages too i mean he made schindler's list and he made saving private ryan i mean those well are that's a different era of spielberg that's not yeah. that's not awe and magic spielberg that's, that's harsh realities yeah. yeah yeah jaws is popcorn but yeah. it but this movie has a lot i think in terms of the characters are really solid mm-hmm. they have their their desires you know oj wants the ranch his sister wants um, fame, you know. Well, can we can we do the Jaws comparison? Sure, yeah. Because it's literally a one for one. It is right? Jaws. I mean, Antlers, the the cinematographer is it's Quint. Quint, yep. and instead of killing Jaws, they just want a picture of him. Yep. Well, it, and, well, and, the, and Quint, see, he's in the sky. <laughs> you, you can, well, yeah, and and so obviously the uh, the the guy from Radio Shack or whatever is 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 Harper Hooper. The, the Richard mm-hmm. the Dreyfus character, um, I would say Kiki Palmer's character is the wife, right? In 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 Jaws, she wants to go back to the city. She wants to go back to the fine life, uh, but she's stuck in this. Well, the, you know, wait, Kiki and OJ are the two guys on the boat with Quint. I think no, Angel I, was supposed to die, and he just kind of came along for the ride. I think Angel is Hooper. He's the technical expert who gets everything set up. Now this movie kind of takes the focus off of him. I would say that that the brother and the sister that that OJ and Kiki or what's her name in the movie em, Emer, Emerald yeah. uh, OJ and Emerald they are actually Brody and his wife um, in that they're this dynamic that Brody just wants to do his job and and continue to do that without any fanfare keep things nice and quiet he's sick of being in the city and all that she, but the wife wants to go back to the city and be with the fine things. Kiki wants to embrace, you know, the the showbiz side of Hollywood, where OJ just wants to do his job and keep it simple. He doesn't need to be a star. Um, Hooper is the the shark expert, the technical guy that they bring in to teach them about um, how to capture this shark. The guy from Radio Shack is the guy who says, hey, you want to capture this shark? This is what we need to do. We need to set up cameras here, blah, 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 blah. Like you mentioned, Michael Wincott, who is a fucking badass, and I was so happy to see him back in a mainstream Hollywood movie. He's the Quint role, and he eats up the screen just as much as Quint does. Um, but this is literally Jaws with a, a sky shark. That's what this movie is. And don't forget horses. Horses. <laughs> yes. But yes. it's also got a better... It does have a better theme than Jaws. I mean, Jaws has kind of like... Uh... The I would say Jaws kind of has this theme of well, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, kind of thing. You know, be afraid of the water, be afraid of sharks, and the people there don't take the shark seriously, right? Even Quint doesn't, you know, succumbs to like the shark is out of his league too, 
right? He he thinks he's bigger than nature, right? That's right. ultimately he thinks he can beat nature, and right. he can't. Same thing. But, well, not really, but but I would say this movie a lot more hammers home its original idea of that that they show you in the very first shot with OJ where he's got the horse in in the set that animals are dangerous and i think mm-hmm. that is kind of what they were going for you know there's the old Siegfried and Roy uh incident and then the woman in there in the in this is is from a real life story too her face was like broken by a real monkey on a set um or i think it was a set but the idea that animals are not just props you know um animals are animals can be extremely dangerous and um you know it reminds me also of that guy who went out and lived with the bears you yeah. know the grizzly man i think they grizzly made a man film about that. Yeah. yeah and it's it just they don't they maybe don't respect the animals enough to they don't respect the danger i mean they don't respect that there's there is more danger than i mean Siegfried and roy they they were with the tigers for years right uh, but still injured. Um. Well, I mean, I think that's certainly a part of it, but I think it's really talking about exploitation, right? Because every character is exploited through different ways. Um, you know, the father, he, well, the grandfather who started this company, he was exploited all throughout Hollywood history, right? Because the idea here is that this family has had this horse, this Hollywood horse farm or whatever you'd call it, since the early days, the early days, the, the early pictures, right? And it's been passed down from one generation to the other, but, but they barely have any money. They have no recognition. But meanwhile, their horses have been supplied for films all throughout the, Holly, the history of Hollywood. Um, the, the monkey that goes berserk is being exploited for a TV show. The horses are being exploited as food for this alien, the shark of the sky, right? Um, the, the, uh, right, and I think Stephen OJ is... OJ is kind of the op. He's supposed to. He's kind of the um, person teaching the the moral of the yes. story. Yes. Uh, which is good. I liked it. I liked it. We can have this kind of philosophical discussion about animals um, well, and Hollywood. And, and it, and... Here, here's the other problem. You can't though, do that too. with Jaws. No, no. Oh, well, this is this is my problem with how I I spoke about the movie earlier because I said that it hit a ten out of ten, but it's still only an eight. That's also. Keep it in mind that I am grading this on the Jordan Peele scale. I just which... don't know what a ten out of ten on the global well, scale looks like. Then, like, what would you have wanted this movie to be that would have made it better? Um, I I think that ultimately uh, it it does it commits the Jaws sin too early. It shows the shark too early. I think you lose a lot of the tension as soon as you realize what we're up against. That's probably um, why they had the phase two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just but to, it's, just to give you, know, you something new to look at. The reason that Jaws works so well is because you actually can't see under the water, right? But anytime this thing starts moving, once we realize what's going on, a lot of the tension is lost. There's no external threat, right? Like one of the the creepiest scenes in the trailer was this little paw coming out, which the trailer made it look like it was an alien hand. Or at least that's mm-hmm. how I took it. And then it shows like there's this fake out of little green alien men, right? It ends up being right. neighbor kids. But if you, there would have actually been a secondary threat, then it wouldn't have just been, look it, there it is. I can see it. It's not doing anything. Well, it's I, up I there. I will say that, that OJ and Emerald do seem more or less in command of what's going on. Yeah. Versus like in Jaws, there's the part where he's throwing the chum in the water and then 
sees the shark and the look on his face is like, we are fucked. Fucked. Yeah. We need a, we're going to need a bigger boat. There's no, right. there's no, we're going to need a bigger boat no, in this isn't. movie. Yeah. And the other thing too is like, okay, I, I would say that the purest character in this is the Michael Wincott old cinematographer because like he is actually there. He's, there is a sense of exploitation there too, because what he wants to do is basically capture this perfect, this perfect shot, this perfect moment. Um, and he's willing to give his life for it. So there's a purity there, but ultimately it's still just kind of like, you know, self masturbatory kind of, you know, for some reason his character is kind of boring to me. He's like the least fleshed out. Like he, he, he doesn't, I don't know why his, what his motivation is, but that's okay. Yeah. We can't all, we can't know everybody's backstory. Well, and that's why um, you cast Michael Wincott because he inherently brings this presence, right? Because they right. can't spend the time with that character. So here are the things I did not like. And there's not a lot of them. The first one is titles. I don't need titles. This is like a Quentin Tarantino thing that he started doing. And again, it was great in Pulp Fiction. I don't need titles. I don't need sub-chapters of a movie. I need one movie that tells one story. Pulp Fiction was special. Yes. Let's not, let's not do it again. Uh, the other thing I think that is unnecessary is again the non-linear storytelling in this movie is also unnecessary so it's the it's one of the big things that i would knock on this film is that they could have just told it from start to finish and had a good length movie there are two specific times where they go back in time the first one uh is when they show gordy and gordy's rampage Mm -hmm. but we already saw gordy at the beginning of the movie and Mm -hmm. it was fucking scary Mm mm-hmm and we could have just left it there. There is no reason to actually show it again later on. Well, there is a small reason. It's it gives the motivation for why um, the what why Stephen Jupe. what's his name Stephen Jupe. from Jupe Jupe yeah it, it gives the reason for why Jupe thinks he can tame this or but at least reason we, with. But can't we? infer that as the audience like why do we Certainly. need to show why do we need no. to show the flashback and then have a picture of his face like he's reminiscing like yeah i'm in agreement with you i don't think it's necessary i'm just saying i understand why that was there but i just ultimately it doesn't matter again if you cut it do you have a weaker film or a stronger film i would say probably stronger, stronger film. film yeah i think you and... could do a lot of cutting in this movie actually i think so this movie's two hours and 10 minutes i think you could have made a killer 90 minute version of this film yeah, so the other part is they cut back to Keith David when Keith David is still alive. He's the father. And I don't even remember what happens in that scene. I just remember he's telling OJ something. That's yeah. how worthless that scene is. And I don't know yeah. if they just wanted to put Keith David back in the film, which I can understand the desire, but, <laughs> again, it's not adding anything. It's uh, you can You can remove that scene, too. So titles, get rid of the titles. Nonlinear, just tell the story from start to finish. It's going to be a lot stronger. That's my, that's my only gripes with this, and they are they are pretty big. But the things I like in this film are so good that I will overlook those. Like if they had, if they had gotten it perfect, you know, you unfortunately cap out at ten out of ten. But but maybe you go down in history. You know, that's when you that's when you hit like the twelve out of ten or whatever. It's like. I'm still going to give you a 10 out of 10, but you'll be remembered in 30 years 
as one, right. <laughs> one of the yeah. greatest films well, ever. Yeah. <laughs> I ultimately had a lot of problems with this film. I think they was bloated. I think it was a little muddled. Um, I, I am a little nervous that, uh, that Jordan Peele's ambition at this point in his career overshadows his actual ability to tell a, a tight, coherent story. But... I still, again, on that on that sliding scale, I still think Jordan Peele is one of the you know top five filmmakers working today. And even a movie like this that, for me, mostly works is still better than almost anything else that you're going to go see in, in you know coming out of Hollywood. Yeah, I I would definitely say that. Well, this came out twenty twenty two, right? Last summer. Yeah, I think it was my favorite movie of that year. I haven't seen, we're going to talk about this too, I haven't seen like everything, everywhere all at once, but... This movie's better than that, but that movie is highly overrated. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, if if the best movie of 2022 isn't a 10 out of 10, then then I'm not sure what is. You well, gotta, let me see. You gotta get there. I This is not my favorite movie of 2022. That would go to Glass Onion. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I hate that movie. Um, let me just see. Well, I'm not going to go into it. Uh, it's definitely on the list of considerables, right. but right. but ultimately, it just I didn't end up. I I wanted to love it, and I only ended up really liking you felt, it. You felt let down a little bit. You wanted yeah. something different. I mean, I have a tattoo of an alien abduction on my arm, you know, and so like I wanted, <laughs> yeah, I I oh, I wanted man. to. I yeah, I wanted to, uh, you know, this was this movie could have been made for me, and it ultimately wasn't, and right. that just that was a little heartbreaking. You wanted aliens. I wanted. This is the thing, though, right? Is like if there had been actual. I mean, that is an ultimate, or at least it's supposed an alien. But no, if no, there were they said actually, it might, no, they actually said it might not have been an alien. They said it was just a creature, been? a creature that's lived for a long time and eat, eat stuff in the prairie, and okay, you it. mean. As someone who lives in the Midwest, that sounds like bullshit to me. But okay, um, fine. Uh, if there would have been something else, a, a secondary threat, right? Then, then it would have been just a more dynamic movie for me. Um, well, I think but, what you said about, or what I said, I'll just quote myself. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were in control. The two of them were in control. Yes. Even at the end, when um, she's cutting the balloon, the, yeah. a lot of the tension is totally evaporated because it's. She has so much time to do that. Right. And um, it just doesn't feel like she is in any danger. Or he. Neither. Or he is. I... Yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. And there are parts where it's chasing her and it's close where I'm like, oh, I feel it. But then it never gets to that point where it's do or die. You know, you were talking about convenience with knock at the cabin. And if you're honest, there is a lot of convenience in this film as well. There is. Um, and like this this creature that has existed on the prairie for, you know, how many hundreds of years happens to swallow a balloon and that's how it dies. I mean, go fuck yourself. But but anyway, <laughs> it's, it's a good movie. I well, highly recommend it. Nobody said it died. Okay, well, <laughs> either they're way. Talking, they're talking about making another one. Okay, what, so uh, what are we going to watch next time? Uh, we're going to do Oscars. Okay. We're going to do everything, everywhere, all at once. Best okay. picture, the best picture I have been told by the Oscars. 
Yes, and it, it is not only the best picture, but I mean there is a there is a list of accolades that this of is the best of. All the pictures, this is the <laughs> best one, and I somehow didn't see it. I I try to see a lot of movies, but I somehow missed the best picture, and so I want to watch it desperately. And then the best actor, the whale, I didn't see that either. All right, I'm so, always rooting for Brendan Fraser. I will say this that the Oscars. Um, I used to watch a lot of Oscar movies, and at some point I gave up on the Oscars. I like yes. I gave up on their taste. I just felt like their taste wasn't very wasn't very good. They it's were. It's not, not actually about the movie. It's about the message that Hollywood wants to send out that year. That's. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're if we're honest, it's about the message behind the movie more than it is about the film. And it's also like they like a certain kind of film, right? Yes. And people yeah. make films to win Oscars. And, you know, obviously a biopic is a great example of a film, of a type of film that wins an Oscar, but a lot of times just isn't that good. Yep. Um, the person gets an award the because... The fucking Glass Onion was nominated for Oscars this year. I it mean, was? what? Yes, several of them, because it's a popularity contest. What was it nominated for? Best uh, picture? Let me see. <laughs> best actor? I think it was nominated for best picture, man. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... Oscar nomination. That's Let the me state pull of the Oscars, up. I guess. Uh, okay, I guess it was just one. Best Adapted Screenplay. But that oh, was right. one of the Be- biggest problems Because with it was the movie. a sequel. They said it was an adapted yes. screenplay because it right. was a sequel. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. We're, but, that's neither here nor there. Right. But so, so yeah, the Oscars, now they come out. They come and go, and I don't watch them anymore. But yeah. my friends have told me that everything we're ever all at once is, is very good. So I will watch it. Well, and, it, I, I enjoyed it. I just don't think it deserves to be getting the the laudits that it is. It, it's a fun, well thought we'll talk out. About, we'll talk about it. Yeah, save yeah, your, okay, yeah. save your. I do want to give a recommendation <laughs> since I'm not going to recommend that at this time, um, and that would be HBO's Succession. Uh, for anyone who is not aware, um, this is a season or a series that is just now entering season four. I believe the first three episodes are available on HBO. Um, but it follows this family who is basically like the Murdoch family. They're billionaires who control a corporate media empire, and they're all terrible, terrible people, and it's basically just them eating each other over the course of these four seasons, and it's utterly fantastic. All the performances are, are top-notch. It feels every, – every episode feels dynamic. Every episode has stakes. Um, all the characters are fully fleshed out. Uh, I, I was telling my, my partner Jess that uh, during the course of any given episode, I switch favorite characters four or five times because they're all written so well that whoever's scene I'm watching is my favorite character at that time. Um, but but if you have HBO, please uh, seek it out and, and watch it. This is the final season. This is why I love HBO. Actually, my other subscriptions, I um, man, I don't want to be a big HBO shill, but my other subscriptions I borrow. That's the only one I pay yeah. for. Yeah, they. I mean, listen, their 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 film their their film productions are you know here and there are fine, but their series are untouchable. They make good good content for sure. Yeah. Um. All right, Succession. I'll check it out. All right. That's a wrap. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>